Um, we're actually going to look back into Scripture today, and we're going to look back where we picked up, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We're going to dig in a little deep. And let me warn you, today's not easy subject matter. I say this every time. It's like when you whine about something, you're always whining. Murder, adultery, and divorce. Yeah, that's what I got this week. So, so uh, we're going we're gonna to make this uh, as painless as possible. Let's read this. It's a bit of a long passage, and then I want to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to maybe take us on the journey that I've been on this week because this stuff has been ugly and heavy and it's been pulling at my heart and it's been consuming all of my quiet hours and, and maybe this might be something that you can connect with as well. So let's read Matthew 5, verse 21. And we're just going to read it through. We're going to hold commentary till the end and then we'll, uh, we'll, de- we'll delve in, okay? Verse 21. You've heard it said that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which I have no idea what that means, is answerable to the court. I can guess what it would mean. I think I've heard it a few times this week. And anyone who says, you fool, I hear that all the time, right, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary, adversary when, who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. That's Jesus on murder. Hmm. Tough. Adultery, verse 27. It's going to get hotter. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Man, I wish he was on some other subject, don't you? And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. We need your help to open our eyes, Father, because we don't see clearly until you've touched our eyes. We need your spirit to guide our reflections, to guide our thoughts, to steer us away from judgment, to steer us into grace, to steer us away from self-righteousness, and to steer us into humility. We need you this morning to do that as we open your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so tough stuff. You guys can take a breath. You know, there's a problem in a room of a couple hundred people if nobody breathes. Eventually, I'll just go blue, so let's not do that. In your bulletin notes there, we always like to do these little fill-ins for people who like to track along. And I think as, as just a reminder where we are in Matthew and why we are in Matthew, I just think it matters that we say this because it, we, we, we will often slide into the place of judgment and lose that prime position of observer, right? I have a little thing in my living room that we write on chalk on the wall that says, be the observer, not the judge. We slide into this judgment thing as we read what Jesus is teaching about, and we fail to hold the seat of observer 
And by doing that, what we do is we insulate, and you know my thoughts on this, we isolate ourselves from Jewish culture, and we don't understand it, and we think it's the problem. And let me just tell you that this is what I think. Jesus' enemy wasn't the law, it was legalism. Did you see the difference? That's your first little fill in there. Jesus' enemy wasn't the law, it was legalism. He did not come to abolish the law, we talked about this. He came to fulfill it, to encapsulate it, to encase it, to put shellac on it and give you the permanent piece of observation that speaks to what it was all pointing to. As controversial as that is, that's not annulling it or nullifying it or sending it away. So we don't have the luxury of saying Jesus is going to ask less of us than those teachers of the law asked. So that's the seat of judgment that I think we need to move out of and say, okay, he's ratcheting up, and we've talked about this last week, Brandon even touched on this. He's dialing it up even higher, okay? So let's remember that. Jesus' enemy wasn't the law. It was legalism. The law brought to the earth a deep awareness of who God was. For centuries, it's what we had. And it still speaks, and it still is totally infused with ways of living with God in society that makes sense because it was God's idea. That remains what that is. Okay, so legalism was the problem. So we're working our way through the book of Matthew, and this guy is hard to follow, isn't he? This Jesus guy is hard to follow because he keeps going places that people are probably in the crowd going, did he, did he just say that? Like, did he just actually say that? He's not an easy guy to follow. His teachings are tough, but not in their complexity. They're tough because they're so simple, but they always go to the motive behind the action. They're always pulling away the weeds and letting us see what's at the bottom of the why behind the what, right? He speaks simply enough that people like us can actually understand. He talks about fig trees and wine and bread and water and fish. These are things we can understand. But it's really easy to be right next to Jesus and not let Jesus penetrate the, the thickness of our shirt, to be right on top of the man and miss the man because what he's asking is so much deeper than where we want to go. He asks those bottom line motive questions, right? We wrap everything we do with duty. The moment we hear truth and we see truth and we think we've got something, we wrap it in duty and say, this thing I must do. And encasing it in duty estranges us from the person, the man, Jesus Christ, who's calling our hearts out onto the table. It's difficult stuff. The moment we think we got some truth, we project it on the entire world, and now the world is wrong because they don't do it our way. And there we sit in the place of judge. And not only do we make judgment, but we make eternal judgment. We dangle heaven and hell over people's heads. We categorize them ultimately, terminally in categories. I do this, you do this, we do this. It's a struggle, and this is what the gospel, this is why we're in Matthew, to pull us out of this place that says, we got this, into a place that says, maybe we haven't completely figured this man out yet. Because just when you think you got it, he drives the nail a little deeper, right? Just when you think, I'm all good. I haven't killed anybody. Just when you think, I've not taken the neighbor's wife, right? Just when you think you're smug, this is when he pulls out the carpet. Brandon said it this way in a phone conversation. We had a phone conversation we had a couple days ago. He says, if there was a ladder, we'd climb it. If there was a list, we'd get busy and we'd tackle the list, wouldn't we? The gist of Jesus' teachings in this part of Matthew has nothing to do with setting a high bar, but with removing the bar altogether, and saying, this is humanity, and we are all broken in these ways, okay? Why am, I set, why am I setting this tone? Because we're about to look at three things that the world uses to judge terminally people that are sitting among us and sitting around us. And it's important that we grab ourselves back to that place of grace and say, Jesus is saying something profound, and he's not saying, get above the line and you're all good. 
Because even those who got over the line, he'd look at them and you'd turn the question. Next thing you know, they got it all right. Teachers of the law, they did. You know, the young, the young man, what was, I forget the, um, the passage where it's found in scripture, but he comes to Jesus having done everything. He knocked everything out of the park and he came to Jesus and says, I'm all good, right? He says, no, sell it all. Just give it away. He has a way of taking us to the next level. If it was a list, we'd do it out of duty. If it was a bar, we'd climb over it and we'd feel good and we'd miss, miss the point. These teachings are not meant to shame, but to draw us near, right? Okay. We're moving somewhere now. With this grace in mind, let's turn our attention to what he's talking about. He's hitting his stride now in terms of teaching. He does the initial pop, right? The big opening uh, volley and, uh, you know, the Beatitudes and all these things that flips the world on its head. He talks about salt and light and cities on a hill. He goes into, by the way, I'm not going against the law. I'm fulfilling it. Now he's getting into the meat of his teaching. Through the subtext of murder, here's your next little fill out. Murder, adultery, and divorce. Jesus is going to disassemble what we know about relationships. And reveal our own hearts to us. God's greatest revelation to you will always be you. Because the thing we live in greatest ignorance of in this world is us, our own hearts and our own motives. His greatest revelation is going to be your heart to you. It's probably the greatest thing he'll ever say. And in these three subtexts, these three subtext, you know, headings, we're going to talk about relationships in a way that's Maybe different, but I think it's following the teaching of Jesus. So following his logic, let's dig deeper than just the heading, okay? Because it's pretty okay to read about murder because most of us have never been there until Jesus gets a hold of that subject. Let's talk about murder. Anger is the same as murder in Jesus' book. From what I see as I've thought about it this week, anger is that generic human response to loss of control, right? It can manifest itself in traffic, it can manifest itself in what happens in the pantry. If you've got a lot of kids, you know what I'm talking about, who ate the last of this and who ate the last of that, right? One Oreo. Who leaves one Oreo? Right? Loss of control. It can manifest itself in a thousand ways, but ultimately it's our response to the universe that says, wait a second, there's me, and somebody's not looking after me, right? Ultimately, murder is when you act out and you continue to follow that along to the nth degree, eventually you're willing to say, I matter more than this human life, therefore this is where Jesus is going. But he reverses that flow and takes us back to the beginning. So when he's talking about murder and anger, he's talking about the loss of control. Now, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to make any assumptions about where you are with this, with murder and anger in your life. But let me tell you how I've been internalizing this this week in my space, on my deck, in my office, in my own little quiet world. I have been taken to an interesting place as I've asked God to reveal my own heart to me to realize, and the ultimate realization for me is that I think I parent from a place of control. I think most of the times that I chime in on an argument and I get engaged and I start yelling across the room and you know the things we do, as much as we don't want to do them, it's because somehow I'm losing control. And when somebody else gains control in the house, that, that elicits an immediate response from me. I parent from a place of control, not from a place of grace very often. In marriage, let's not even go there. Let's not even go there. I mean, we build our relationships. I, it's about me, ultimately, right? How about this? In your prayer life, have you noticed that in those seasons of your life when you lose control is when you all of a sudden have a prayer life? 
Like, like we, we don't have this discipline until somebody's sick or somebody wrecked their car or somebody lost a job. And so, so, so just think about that. As we're, as we're reversing that action pattern that ends in murder, Jesus is going to say it's the very beginning response to the loss of control that runs counter to what I'm teaching. Because to follow Jesus is to lose control. You see that? Ultimately. I don't know. Is anyone brave enough to add something to that? I mean, those are the things I've been thinking about this week. Parenting, marriage, prayer. You know, it's funny. It's, you have a prayer life when you've got to speak. Right, Jen? You've got a big book or conference or something you've got to do. Boy, you find a prayer closet. But if the weekend is all fun, you know, you don't really need. So anyone have a subject you would, you would add to that? I don't want to project this on you, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that usually what happens is God walks you through this to share the word because God wants to do something in the congregation. That's my hope. So, yeah. Uh, the verses remind you of your own capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? We chime in at, a, at, at uh, Austin New Church, so. Yeah. That's good. Somebody else. Somebody else. Seems to drive me nuts today. Places where we want to be in control, and even as followers of Jesus, we want to, you know, this is how we end up to be fundamentalists or legalists, because we get a little something and we control that something, and so even for us, our, our walk with Jesus can be controlled, right? It can be controlled, and it can be an attempt to control others. It can be an attempt to control our kids. It can be an attempt to control our family. So there's no way to feel good about murder as Jesus teaches it. So there's a check we can't put in our favor, Right? What about adultery? Where's he getting at with adultery? This one's tough. At the bottom of adultery is lust, according to Jesus, right? But lust is not just a problem men deal with. So women, I want you to hear me clearly, really clearly today, because sometimes we just say, well, that's a guy thing. And we fail to realize how it is that we live almost perpetually desiring something that was not given to us, and it consumes us. And we can't even look at that house or look at that car or look at that, guy's, that, that, that gal's husband. We can't even think of that because it just, it just got such a root in our heart because we're angry at God because we've not been given what somebody else has been given. And that lust controls us. Obviously, this is definitely a guy's issue too. But there's no way to hide with this. You, you, see, what, you see what Jesus is up to. There's no hiding place in anything he's teaching. There's just no, there's no cover. There's no cover here. When we want what isn't ours more than what is, that's what lust is, right? Cheryl Crow said, what did she say to great poet Cheryl Crow? It's not about getting what you want. It's about wanting more of what, it's about wanting more of what you got, right? It's not about, how did it go? Getting more of what you want, but wanting more of what you have, something like that, something like that. Thank you, thank you, Cheryl Crow, on a Sunday morning. It's in Austin, Texas. I love it. So, again, I don't know where you are. I'm just being vulnerable this morning. One of the reasons um, why I, I think this is where the Holy Spirit has had me this week is because something very profound happened last week, and we heard some numbers from Brett, and we heard a very raw, vulnerable confession from Chad. Do you guys remember that? He kind of set an interesting tone that we followed up in a series of meetings throughout the week, and I just think it's kind of the shifting of a season where it's time to just say, here, here it is. Here it is. If you missed that, it's, it's on the web. It's a podcast, and I think we preserve both pieces of that. So if you want to know what we're talking about, uh, check us out. 
podcasts online and you'll be able to hear. So I don't know where you are, but I can tell you I struggle deeply with things, with wanting things that I don't have. Discontent is the big D word in my life. You know what I'm talking about? The discontent that creeps in and grabs your mind and reminds you in this amazing list all the things you don't have, the things you've not been given, the things you've not experienced, the joys you've not had, the struggles you've had that others haven't. I can barely, in fact, crack the vault of this in front of you without you just totally being flooded with the reality that my life has been shaped by disappointment and discontent because I've got a great imagination and I know what things could be and I live on the horizon and I don't often live in the moment. I live out on the horizon and I see what it could be and it never is and I'm angry and I lust after things that I cannot have because they weren't given to me. Obviously, I'm going way beyond sexuality here. You know what I'm saying. We could stay there too and we fare no better, (laughs) frankly. We're all broken in this way. Pretty simply, everything I see that's cool, I want. Everything that's good, I want. Everything that's pleasurable and amazing and shiny, right? Shiny, if it's shiny, it catches my eye. We live in this place, and Jesus is working through the law and these very basic subjects, and he's hitting it, a bit, yet he's drawing it so deep that nobody walks away clean. Nobody walks away being able to say, okay, good, got, good, we're square. We got that. I'm going to be on your right, and he's going to be on your left, right? We're all square. There's no way to do that with this guy. I don't know. Does anybody have a connection there? You ever thought about lust in that way? Somebody want to add something to that list? Somebody struggle in living in that space of just discontent? You're just angry. Why? Because it's not what it was supposed to be, right? A career, whatever. Anyone? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then, then the ultimate response is, and God says, no, this is your fault because you haven't, you haven't helped me out here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can to seek after you, and you're not, you're not letting yourself be found. Yeah. Bam. Cheryl Crow. Are you Cheryl Crow? I'm just <laughs> Have you ever wanted to be Cheryl? Have you ever played Cheryl Crow on TV? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best friends. That's absolutely right. Anyone else? It never ends. It never ends. How so? What do you mean? Uh, well, I live amongst very privileged people. Yeah, yeah. And Can you guys hear him? Would you speak like Archangel, sorry, please? I live amongst very privileged people. Okay. And, um, and even beyond the people that I live with, I have relationships with people with even more and more and more. Yeah. Mm. It just never, ever ends. It's never, ever enough. And I watch my children. Yep. And it just, it just unhinges me. Yeah. Because I see it so palpably in their uninhibited way. Mm. I want more cereal. I want more snow cones. I want more sugar. Oh, snow cones, Austin. <laughs> hey, for those of you from out of town, don't leave without doing snow cones. I know you think it's a joke. Trust me, do Snow Beach down on Barton Springs. Just take my word for it. Anyway, snow cones. But you it said never snow cones. Ends. That's right. That's right. So, I, I you mentioned a lie. Somebody got. Somebody thought instantly what he meant. What 
thought of what he was referring to when he said the lie. What is the lie? Somebody name it. More will make me happy. That other thing will make me happy, right? That thing I've always wanted, those, those speed skates I've always wanted. I'm a kid from the 80s. My entire life went to Christian skates. I'm just going to be honest. Jen, don't laugh because you, you were there too. We would all go to these Christian skates every Tuesday or every other Tuesday or whatever. And if you're new to the faith, I'm so envious of your newness because this is really creepy stuff. But we would listen to like Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and, you know, Brian Duncan. And we would roller skate. And all of us poor kids, we would rent skates, and those nasty brown skates, they all turned funny. And, and you had to do what you could to bust a move on rental skates. It was my entire life. So literally when I turned 40, you know what my gift from my family was to me? That pair of speed skates I've always wanted. You know, they're black. They lace all the way to the bottom. Maybe that's where my love of shoelaces comes from. They're so cool. I've used them three times, but they're so cool. And the moment I had them, what do you think, what do you think the th- next thing I was onto looking on the internet? It's the next thing. Wheels. Right, trucks, new bearings, different, different colored trucks, right? Because mine are just black. And, of course, I've wanted them my whole life, but now I need purple or whatever. I don't know. You know how it is. So that's the lie, isn't it, John? If you just get this next thing, let me just tell you, I hate to say this because we are, after all, in America, but this is what American economy is made of. That lie that says one more thing and you're there, one more thing and you're there, one more house, you're all the way there. Well, guess what? Not until you drive around Lake Austin. Then you're screwed because guess what? They just got bigger. They just got more amazing. So then you get the 40,000 square foot house, but you don't have the view that Michael Dell has. So it never stops, does it? Some of you guys didn't know Michael Dell had a house here. Anyway, sorry. It never stops. It's that lie, isn't it? We've bought into it, and I think following Jesus is going to be a process by which we literally open our guts and allow him to take a scalpel and cut every root of that out. Because there's absolutely nothing you need, there's nothing I need to be happy Not one thing. We have it all right now. Have you thought about that? Right now, all of it. And we're consumed with the desire to have. Now, Jesus is using the subject matter, I think, for crowd, whatever reason. He's using the subject matter of adultery. But what he's getting to is that insatiable desire to have. He's going to call it into question. Okay, let's lighten up a little bit. Again, Jesus is barely glancing these subjects. He's barely hitting his. If you figure the subjects of divorce, adultery, and murder into his teaching, he barely hits them, and he's moving on to somewhere deeper. So I don't want to make a bigger deal out of this than, than it is. But I think it's a way of getting us to where we need to go to see, to see the man, Jesus, in a deeper way. Okay, divorce. Divorce is ultimately, and I want to be very, very careful here. So you tell me if I'm not careful. Throw something. I've thought about divorce. In this case, Jesus barely touches it. If you want deeper teaching from Jesus on divorce, you'd have to go to Matthew 19 because he goes into it a little more. But he, again, he's, it's just a skipping rock. He's hitting these issues. But what I feel like this week as I've prayed through this, I think ultimately what he's talking about is that proclivity or that tendency for us to walk away from things that are close to us for reasons that are about us. Okay, so I want to be very careful, but let's just, let's just go through this. Again, These aren't comments on divorce itself so much as all human beings in this space do this, don't we? We abandon those who we've sworn to protect and be near for reasons that ultimately are more about me and my preservation than the preservation of this thing we've agreed to. So I've been thinking about that, the willingness to walk away from things that I'm covenanted to be close to. And I can only speak for myself. And I, I, you know, my first wife would say something different. Of course, my first wife is my only wife. I only married once. I know Larry King just looked at me like, what? 
<laughs> Larry, if that man, if there was a laser attached to that man, I just, I'd have two holes right here. He's like, whoa. <laughs> Listen, I can only speak for myself, but let me be very honest with you. Leaving the ones beside me, nearest me, out of what God is doing is so easy. Leaving those that are closest to me out of the picture is a huge fear of mine. I could stack up the bones of the bodies of pastor's kids and missionary kids and people that we would respect who are just stacked hip deep in dead bones of kids who have said, you know what, you've abandoned us for something else that's more compelling to you. I live in constant fear of not being that person. And I'm, I'm just being honest. You could say, well, you shouldn't live in fear. I know that. But it's something I think about a lot. Leaving those who are closest to me out is a dangerous, dangerous thing. We have an un- I have an uncanny capacity to overlook those who are right here. I've got a lot of people right here, right? It's easy to wonder what God is doing nationwide, what God is doing here and there, and it's so easy to... I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. I know what happens when my freedom gets crossways with their needs. I know what happens. And if you must know, you grab my wife and pin her to the wall and ask her. It's not a pretty picture. I know what happens when my freedom runs countergrain to the needs of my little girls and my wife. And all I can say is that, that you know how serious my devotion time has been this week. This has been some heavy stuff. But my need to control, my desire to have what I can't have, and my c- capacity forget those that ma- to forget those that matter the most is just overwhelming me this week as I sit before Jesus and say, how do we talk about this? How do we talk about this? How do we not just throw out some words and fill some time, but how do we really sit in the presence of this stuff? It's not easy. I don't like what I've seen this week. I don't like what I've seen in myself this week. But it moves me to a place that says, God, it's all about you, and that's always been the case anyway, because if I'm going to track with you and listen to what you're teaching... I'm going to eventually end up in the same space, which is, I can't do any of it. You need to, you need to help me because, because this can't come from me because I don't have it in me to be content and to do these things. It's got to come from you. Last little fill in there. Well, second to last. Everything that Jesus says in the next few verses, and I want us to understand that this is a teaching that wasn't preserved in verses and chapters. This is a teaching, right? He was going to a point. So his conclusion was in verse 48, we're not there yet as we read, but let me just pull it into the present. It says, everything that Jesus says in the next few verses has to do with a radical new ethic perfectly summarized in verse 48. You want to know what it is? Here it is. In case you're feeling under the weight of all this stuff and condemned by all this stuff, here's what he says, Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. That's, that's it. That's the bottom line. Just as the Father is complete in showing love by sending Jesus to a dying world that didn't deserve him, that's how you live, that's how you do it, that's how you get there. Showing love to everyone is more about letting go, right? And less about adding more tedious religious things we need to do. And this is kind of where he's going. It's not about adding more. It's not about adding more complexity. It's about moving it aside and saying it's all encapsulated, it's all perfectly encased in love which is a posture towards the world. It's a way of living. So we know what Jesus is giving us here is not a new contribution to some sort of exegetical debate, Waven's understanding the Old Testament. What he's giving us is a final and definitive, emphatic summary of the will of God related to how it is that we should live in the world. 
And he grabs it and he bags it and he bottles it in a single word, which is love. This kind of radical teaching demands a response. It demanded a response of those listening to him. If you read far enough ahead, Matthew 7, 28, you want to know what the response of the crowd was? Here it is. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these words, having preached this sermon, having done this discourse, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as with authority and not like legal experts. It wasn't just subject matter to Jesus. It was deeper. And the people said, this is different, right? Okay. I think the answer, the question that Matthew's trying to solve for is, who is this guy? He's offering to us a world that he saw firsthand about who, uh, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? If we read this passage with an open heart, which is always the posture to read the word in, we see far deeper than murder, adultery, and divorce, don't we? We see a wayward humanity. And I think we see Jesus calling us to a deeper place of saying, love is the answer. Love is the bottom line. Live in this way. So a couple of questions for you. And I want to take you through something a little bit liturgical. I know it's weird, but we're here. Do we struggle with the need to control? You know the answer for me. That's in your bullets in there if you want to write that in. Do we struggle with the need to control? Number two, are we content with what God has given us? If a million people got content, this economy would struggle. It's been elections week and I should shut up, but I'm just telling you. If we got content, if we got more miles out of what we have, Number three, are we staying present to those closest to us? The only response to a message like this, not my message, but Jesus' message, is to repent before the Lord and say, we're broken and we're needy. Again, one of the elders said this, this last week, and I think it's been reverberated all throughout the week, that this is maybe a season of coming before the Lord that we're about to engage on as ANC, as a church. I want to take that seriously. I don't think we lose any time by doing that. I think we all move forward and end up in the right place. So these ideas have been bouncing around in my brain all week. Personal repentance is where it begins, but it doesn't stop there because we're, corp- we're something together. We're a corporate thing, right? We're not just ourselves. We're something else. And so I've been thinking and praying about what would it look like for us to sit with this revelation and say, God, we turn our palms up and we say we're needy and we're broken as a congregation. So the classic words the church has always used in response to her nakedness before the Lord has always been, do you know what this word means? The Kyrie liaison in, in Greek. The Kyrie, any liturgical people here? Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. That's always our response. So when we see ourselves in the mirror of the word of God, our response is Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. You hear that? You hear what I'm saying? When we look at ourselves in the life of Jesus and we see how far we've got to go to love the way he does, we say Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. The church has been saying this for 2,000 years. And so I... I It's just what I came up with, and it's only one way to get there, but I think it's legit this morning. I want to lead us through a prayer that these have been the words that I've been sitting with, and I want our response to be, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Are you willing to do that with me? A little call and response. Can we do that? I know it's strange. It's actually not. It's pretty global, actually. Um, Not very Texas, but it's pretty global. So I want you to hear these words. And again, whenever somebody prays words over you, written words over you, own them or don't, you don't have to own them, but if they resonate... Answer with me. Just say with me to the Lord because it's my heart's prayer. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, Christ, have mercy on us. 
because we know we've been laid bare and we're only partly there and we're going to be in Matthew for a while and it's not going to get any better. It's going to get harder. It's going to, I'm sorry. It's going to get harder. The weather's getting nicer, but the word's going to get tough. Okay, so just, just read along with me and I'll prompt you when it, everybody practice. Say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Good, you're all the way there. So listen, let's just make this a, a place of reflection. For our need to control every detail of our lives, for our insistence that our personal interests be placed above those of others, for being so convinced that we take better care of ourselves than you can, Lord, that we take things into our own hands, for the ways that we speak evil of others in order to elevate ourselves, Lord, we repent. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. For giving ourselves over to the desires of our own to own and to possess what is not ours, for allowing our appetites to control us by pushing us to crave what we haven't been given, for in so doing despising the true gifts that we have been given freely by you, Lord, for being convinced that true happiness is having more, we repent. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. For forgetting about our solemn commitments to care and nurture those closest to us, for walking out on those very ones who, who need us the most, for failing to live as a people in abiding covenant one to another, for bringing shame on ourselves, for selfishly demanding our freedom at the expense of others, we repent. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy.